views expressed on this program are those of the hosts, guests, and callers, and are not necessarily those of this station, its management, or other advertisers. You're listening to Transformation Talk Radio. Hi, welcome. This is Dr. John Martini. This is one of the most amazing and inspiring shows that you can listen into. If you want to be on the edge of your seats, if you want to open up your heart, if you want to expand your mind, and you want to meet incredible people, stay tuned because you're just about to experience a transformative radio show that will change your life. And you're listening to the Dr. Pat Show that's coming up right next. Welcome to the Dr. Pat Show. Talk radio to thrive by. Powerful, inspiring, and coming to you live, bringing you stories of people like you and me, busting through and living life full out. Get ready to dare to wonder what your life would be like if you knew you could not fail. Wow, everyone. Welcome. I want to welcome you. It's so great to have all of you tuning us in, turning us on. Uh, And for those of you out there, uh, happy summer. Uh, It is like the time now where the little kitties apparently are uh, off from school and in some places at least. And so, you know, here we are being able to brighten up your day uh, even a little bit more. And so today we get to do do it through an incredible, incredible author and transformational, uh, what I like to call angel, who has come now to the forefront to help all of us understand some of the things that we ponder. And what has she discovered in a fabulous book, Return of the Divine Sophia? Mm-mm, mm-mm, mm-mm. This is going to be so good. But before we jump into that, let's say hello to Mr. Benny. Hello, Mr. B. What up, Pat? Happy Father's Day yesterday. Ah, thank you very much. Appreciate it. Yeah, we had a great time. Just kind of spent a lot of time with the boys. Did a lot of park action and uh, went down a little carnival down in Federal Way. Saw Wilson, the 12th pony, which if you haven't done that, he's very cool. And, yeah. Uh, well, I don't know. Have you ever seen? He's a mini pony, but he's all no. decked out. And, yeah, he's Wilson. The, he's an actual. He's the actual 12th. 12th man pony so oh my gosh yeah. that is so fun then pretty cool right? good times, so good big times. fun oh yeah jam-packed yeah <laughs> jam-packed totally right yep i think we have more people visiting here the pacific northwest than i've seen in a really long time i don't know why that is maybe it's just me but i just think that places are like uh buzzing with people that decided oh i think we're going to visit seattle i think we're going to come and come out and take a look at that beautiful place and you know i came in the summer when i came out here Mm -hmm. and i came in one of those what do they call it benny an el nina la la nina or el nino yeah masculine one of them too yeah back in 1992 i came out for the summer and it was the hottest warmest driest summer and and i was like oh i gotta move here (laughs) and people were like Oh, but no, it rains. And I'm like, no, no, no. I think you just tell everybody that. Yeah, it's not that bad here. Everyone kind of puts the damper on. This gr- it's so gray. and But I'm like, it's so luscious and green here compared to most places. So It uh, is. I like that. And, of course, this last weekend it was, you know, the big U.S. Open in Chambers Bay and all that. Now it's over. And so I think there was a lot of people here this last couple of weeks anyway. But this is a hot market up here. It's a hot one. We're, you know, this is hot. We're hot here. Yep. And by the way, for those of you out there, Seattle happens to be the 13th largest radio network in the country, city for radio in the country, 13th. Yeah, we hover between 10 and 15. 
Yep, 10 and 15. Yeah. I, I picked 13. Yeah, right in the middle. So it's kind of like in the middle, right? Yeah, we've ridden up to 11, 10, and then dropped back down. It's just and there we the way go. it works. <laughs> well, we got a great show, everybody. As I said before, Return of the Divine Sophia, Healing the Earth Through Lost Wisdom Teachings of Jesus, Isis, and Mary Magdalene. And you know what? Three of my faves. Three of my faves. How does that even happen? Uh, three of my faves and the divine Sophia. And so for those of you out there, Trisha McCannon is joining me here today. Renowned clairvoyant teacher, mystical symbologist, author of two books, Dialogues with the Angels and Jesus, the explosive story of the 30 lost years in ancient mystery religions. And now we're here talking with her about Return of the Divine Sophia and how important is this message for all of us? You know, if you, I know many of you know who she is. I know you've been in front of her when she's been speaking around the globe. She's on television, you know, has been on radio, coast to coast AM. You name it, she's been out there. Because, you know, one of the things is that when you talk about being a renowned clairvoyant teacher, mystical symbologist, it is something that, you know, one has to literally step up to, have to be called to the forefront. And then to talk about this incredible book. This book is so juicy for all of you out there. This is so juicy. I love it. Everything from the Dead Sea Scrolls to talking about the goddesses in the underworld. And and, and that's not even a quarter of the message. There's so much in here. But, you know, what is this, the divine Sophia? And how shall we talk about Mary Magdalene. Trisha, welcome to the show. It's great to have you here. Uh, Dr. Pat, what a pleasure to be with you and all of our wonderful listeners out there in Seattle and across the nation. So it's a pleasure to be invited. Thank you. Now, let's talk a little bit about, you know, let's, let's stop for a minute and talk a little bit about the journey to that brought you to write this book. You know, many people look and they say, oh, yeah, people write books. They write about this. They write about that. But I have to tell you, I've done over 13,000 interviews, and I will tell you that there is always a story, you know, behind a book for those people that actually write their own books. And I want to hear from you. I mean, you're out in the world. What was it that called you forward to be able to, and this is my language now, to become a spokesperson for the return of the divine Sophia? Gosh, what a great question. Um, you know, I think for all of us, there is a journey that we take through our life, and and uh, at the heart of that journey is the process of spiritual awakening. And some people awaken when they're children, and some people awaken when they're adults or after they've gotten married and had kids and the kids have gone off to college, and, and then it's kind of like some whole aspect of them comes online that had been dormant or asleep until that point. And so in lots of ways, we're kind of like time-release capsules. For me, I uh, have had the gift of sight since I was a little girl. I, I grew up here in Atlanta, and I grew up across from a great forest. And so as a child, I could I spent a lot of time in the forest by myself, and there was a wonderful bubbling spring there and some small standing stones. And I wound up actually being able to see the elementals in the forest, and, and these are the guardian angels, if you will, of the, of the plant kingdom, of the tree kingdom. And um, I think they were very surprised because most human beings can't see them. So they went and told the, un, the over-lighting 
being angelic energy, the uh, angel that oversaw that for us. And when I was eight years old, he came and began to teach me about the vast hierarchy of worlds and how the light and the sound of the divine are stepped down through the dimensions to eventually come to the third dimension or the physical world. And so, you know, from the very beginning for me, I was kind of tuned in to these other planes, and as you can imagine, um, growing up in the Deep South in a pretty traditional uh, Christian family, you know, my dad was Baptist, my mom was Methodist, we <laughs> became Episcopalian, I was actually uh, confirmed as Episcopalian when I was 13, you know, um, I was surrounded by uh, religion, but there were a lot of questions that I uh, had that the traditional religions weren't answering, and um, I could tell that uh, they were kind of following what I would call the letter of the law more than the spirit of the law, and so they weren't able to see these angelic beings that came as my teachers. They weren't able to see the masters that sometimes uh, appeared, um, and I was very busy in the dream state and, and the inner planes where one night I would be in the temples of golden wisdom and the higher levels being taught by these profound master beings, and then the next night I'd sort of be in the bowels of the lower astral plane, and, you know, none of these sort of religious people seem to have any answers or any direct experiences. So as you can imagine, I did a lot of praying growing up that someone wiser than myself would yeah. show up to help me connect the dots. And, and I was very lucky that happened when I was 19 years old. I was at school at Florida State University, and I had these masters up here called the Viragi masters. And uh, the Viragi is a Sanskrit word that comes from the Sanskrit word virag, which means detachment. And these are uh, beings who are detached from a lot of the affairs of the world. They're not going after, you know, fame or fortune or career or sex or, um, you know, family. They are very focused on uh, traveling through these inner planes. And so they had a map of the various dimensional levels of realities, and they also had specific techniques to teach you to do something called soul travel, which mm. is the ability all of us have to shift our consciousness or our attention while we're still living in the physical body and to have these direct experiences at these higher celestial levels um, ourselves. And that was absolutely like a path for me. You know, I didn't have to take someone's word for it. I could actually experience it for myself. So that's sort of the beginning of how this began. And and I became an initiate at the age of 19 with these masters and was very busy on the inner planes at night in the dream state and meditation learning how to slowly gain some control of my clairvoyant and clairaudient gifts and to travel in these other realms. And, of course, on the outside level, the, my straight Clark Kent life, as I often call it, <laughs> you know, I came back from Florida to Atlanta. I became a commercial photographer and uh. was very busy with that whole career. And I was never, I never intended to be a you know, on television or radio or be a speaker or even to do clairvoyant readings for people. I was really just pursuing my own spiritual growth. And then when I was about 27, as I chronicle in the Sophia book, I had a very powerful lucid dream, and I was used to working on the inner planes. Of course, I had normal straight dreams sometimes, like everybody, but Gosh. these lucid dreams you knew were teaching dreams. And in this dream, I had gone back to school for my master's degree in college, and I woke up, and there was this amazing extraterrestrial symbol language on the walls. And... Um, 
I tried my best to remember it, but I fell back asleep. And when I woke up, I, the writing was gone. But And I could only remember one symbol, and it was a, a circle with a dot at the center, which is the ancient symbol for the sun, for the ancient symbol for the creator itself, uh, for the alpha and the omega. And now, of course, in physics, it's the symbol that physicists used for the singularity, which is the dot at the center, or we could say God. Scientists mm-hmm. don't like to say God, but the singularity. And then the circle is what they call the event horizon, or which is basically everything that the divine creates, everything else. And so... Um, I wound up going to this library to try to see if I could find references, historical references to the symbol. And while I was there, the student assistant behind the desk came and got me and said, there's a phone call for you at the front desk. And I was like, what? A phone call for me? There, you know, nobody even knows I'm here. So I went to the front desk and picked up the phone, and uh, this woman said, is this Trisha McCannon? And I said, yes, who is this? And she said, we've called to tell you that your dreams are real. And I was like, What? And uh, I said, who is this? And she said, we're from the priestesses of Isis, and that's all we're permitted to tell you at this time. And then she hung up. And then I woke up, and I realized it was a dream within a dream, and there were two coded messages, the symbol, and, of course, the symbol language, and uh, the priestesses of Isis. And, of course, at that time, 27 years old, this is 30 years ago, I had no idea, you know, what is this, some strange cult from Egypt or something. And, And, of course, like many people, I've been attracted to Egypt from the time I was a child, but I really had no idea how to even begin to decode this. And about two months later, in the physical realm, um, not the inner realms, I was actually going to lunch by myself, and I had a long wait, so I wound up going down and hanging out at this beautiful gift store called Illumina. And I was looking at this Egyptian statue, and the woman behind the counter said, Oh, are you interested in Egyptian things? Mm. And I said, yeah, I'm, you know, been dreaming of the priestesses of Isis. And she said, oh, tell me your dreams. And I, you know, realized I'd kind of spoken out loud. And I said, well, you know, you're probably not going to understand my dreams. I'm not even sure I do. And she <laughs> said, try me. I'm a hierophant or a high initiate in the priestesses of Isis. And this was to become my shaman teacher. And uh, I relate that story in the first five pages, of course, of the Sophia book. And as you know, having read the book, the book takes you through a story, a shamanic story, which is a very true story of how I came to learn um, both shamanically and in spiritual circles and then historically through my own research that basically for the first 200,000 years that Homo sapiens sapiens have been down here, and that's about how long anthropologists tell us Homo sapiens have been on the planet, that who uh, we worshipped as the creator of the universe was the divine female, the divine mother. And that's because everybody could observe in nature that who gave birth was the female. So, of course, who would have birthed the universe would have been the divine mother. And about maybe 4,000, 5,000 B.C., it began to change to where it was the Divine Mother and the Divine Father, which Uh is great because both of those aspects are very beautiful. And then it became the Divine Son and the Divine Daughter as well. And, of course, in Christianity, we've kept the Divine Father and Son 
But we've lost the Divine Mother, right. and we've lost the Divine Daughter. And so this was part of the journey that I took in beginning to discover that at one time we lived in far more balanced societies where there wasn't war, there wasn't strife, where the rulership passed through the lineage of the queen, who was a high priestess. Her brother or her husband ruled beside her. Men had their power. Women had their power. But there wasn't war. There was harmony. There was peace. People lived in agricultural and hunting villages and um, without the kind of strife and violence that we've been conditioned to believe is part of the inevitable human condition today. Well, you know, this is really part of a journey of awareness and awakening and so forth for people that is hardly understood but mostly curious about these days. Uh, And so uh, one of the things I want to talk with you about is the rediscovery and, you you know, where we are in the rewriting of things. You know, the Dead Sea Scrolls and the discovery of them um, and, and many other things are really calling for a new investigation. As some, I, I heard someone say that, a new investigation. I, I'm not sure how new it is, but what I think people are saying is, you know, there are some things we intuitively know to revisit. In what you have researched, discovered, visioned about, dreamt about, what do you believe are the three most important things that we are meant to revisit in this day and age? Well, definitely, I think um, the understanding of the cycles of time is one of them because, um, you know, there was such a stronghold of suppression of knowledge by the uh, patriarchal religions. And we're talking about, uh, you know, in in this case, uh, medieval Christianity. And, of course, Christianity has become more enlightened, thank goodness, and now we sort of have a suppression of knowledge in a lot of the Muslim world, although for a while the Muslims were kind of pretty enlightened. And In fact, one of the only reasons we have Plato is because um, during the, the darkest age of ignorance and book burning and, and so mm-hmm. forth in Catholicism, you know, the Muslims actually had universities where they were studying sacred geometry and mathematics mm-hmm. and all that. However, it seems like every religion goes through its cycle where it initially has this beautiful, you know, um, inspiring prophet or avatar or master. And then, of course, the people who are the disciples do the very best they can to understand the message. And then if it doesn't get completely squashed, the secular powers then decide to make it a religion. And in order to propagate the religion and have the money to have an institution, they wind up you know, systemizing and dogmatizing the information in such a way that anyone who doesn't conform, they'll they'll find reasons to go and murder and, and kill. And, you know, this is part of the history that I've sort of tried to bring out in both the Jesus book that I wrote about his time among the mystery religions. That's the book before the Sophia book, and also in the Sophia book. So, so I think one thing is understanding the cycles of time and where we are in the cycles of time is that basically, you know, like we have 12 signs of the zodiac, basically every 2,000 or 2,160 years, we shift from one age to another. And each age seems to have its strong points and its weak points. We've been in the age of Pisces, and Jesus, of course, that great profound and divine being, 
came to sort of bring the message of that age at the very beginning, which is the kingdom of heaven is within, you know, love is the key, forgiveness is the key, and do unto others as you would have them do unto you, the golden rule. Uh, and, uh, of course, what did we do with it? That was the essential message of the avatar of peace at the beginning of the age of Pisces. Well, what happened, of course, was the age before it was the age of Aries, the age of the warrior. That's why we had the Roman Empire. We had Alexander the Great. We had, you know, the Assyrians fighting the Sumerians, fighting the Hebrews, fighting the Egyptians. It was just, you know, 2,000 years of war before Jesus came in. And we were still in the grip of that Roman Empire. So what happened is when the Roman Empire finally decided to legitimize Christianity, of course they used all their military might to suppress any competing understandings of Jesus' teachings and anything that they considered to be non-patriarchal. Uh, the Romans were patriarchal, the Jews were patriarchal. So we, what we wound up with in the age of Pisces instead of the feminine-based, intuitive, mystical age that Jesus intended was we had the leftovers for the dominating age of Aries uh, taking control of his message, and we only got a portion of it. And uh, consequently, we had about 50, I mean, literally, the statistics, as you know from reading my book, are some 50 million people yeah. were murdered between what they call the heretic centuries and the witchcraft or inquisition centuries. And so there were many, many very gifted, intuitive, wise, educated uh, people uh, that were basically taken out. And so yeah. in order to come out of that darkness, when the uh, age of rationalism began and the scientific revolution and the Renaissance, science had to deliberately separate itself from anything sacred, anything that had to do with the world of spirit, or they would never have been allowed to have even existed. In fact, people like Giorgio Bruno, you know, were burned at the stake for saying, and Galileo was in prison for saying that the earth went around the sun. So because of that, uh, astronomy and astrology got separated, and astronomy is the hard physical science, and astrology is the study of the subtle energy currents. So when we talk about this new age that's coming in, the age of Aquarius, you know, some believe it hasn't arrived. I would say that some of the great theosophists like Manly P. Hall and Alice Bailey and those guys who were coming up in the 1920s and 30s, they believed that we moved into the first degree of Aquarius in 1939. And since every degree, there's 30 degrees in each astrological sign, every, the movement of from one degree to the other takes about 72 calendar years. That means that 2012 would have, according to their reckoning, been the very first year of the 72-year cycle where we moved one degree into Aquarius. And, of course, Aquarius is an air age, so it's communication, it's UFOs, it's... Um, it's uh, cell phones, it's computers, it's all this incredible shift in consciousness where it's far more balanced between the male and the female. And at the change of every age, there is an opportunity for us to rebalance the planet. And so that's kind of where we are now. We're in this right. incredible cusp 
period. So that would be the first thing that I would I would I would mention. And I have the other two, but I know we may have to take a break. So before yeah. I go on, well, I just want to check in to see well, how our we, time is. Well, we have a few more minutes. I've I've skipped the. I'm probably going to skip the uh, two corner breaks. But you know the reason that this is important. I mean, and mentioning Manly P. Hall, not many people know of his work, and you know I'm one of those few lucky people. Uh, that got to, you know, really explore and look at some of the things that he had to say early on, and there were many like that. Um, yes, John Blavatsky, really, in the late 1800s, uh-huh. brought that incredible theosophical movement forward, and then there yeah. was a whole plethora of master souls that came in. Uh, people like Alice Bailey was a mystical Christian. Yeah. The Rastrushan movement, you know, which had started in the late 1400s, began to blossom, and Manly P. Hall was an incredible master. I mean, he was speaking about these things in his 20s, for heaven's sake. So definitely an initiate of the great mysteries, uh, as, as I am. Uh, he kind of got there a little earlier than I did, though. I, I was kind of underground for so many decades. But, um, so the second thing I would say would be sure. this importance of the, the balance between the feminine and masculine. In the great spiritual mystery schools that went on for some 4,000 years before Jesus was born, and some 400 years after him, and that he was a master initiate of in many different chapters around the world, from the Essenes to the Therapeutae in Egypt to the Druids in England to uh, his time in India and his time among the Buddhists, where he was acknowledged as the second Buddha that the first Buddha had predicted would come 500 years later. And and the great spiritual mysteries were taught in three levels of initiation. The first was the divine feminine, the second was the divine masculine, and the third was the merger of the two, which allows mastery. So this tells us that if you only have the feminine or you only have the masculine, you can't come to mastery. So in Christianity, as I said, we've got the Father and we've got the Son, but that's the second level. So we miss the foundational piece. And the foundational piece of the of the mother and the daughter has so many levels of um, understanding behind it. But one is that everything is alive in the universe. Right. That there is consciousness to some degree because there is life in everything, from a, a tree to a bush to a to a bunny rabbit to a human to a hawk, and that that consciousness must be honored, much like our Native American ancestors when they kill to eat food. They thank the spirit of the being that was sacrificing itself. Much as we do in Christianity, when we pray before a meal, we're thanking the energy of the food and those that have given their life force that we might continue to live. And so um, we lost a lot of the sense of the sacredness. And so consequently, that connection, which also teaches healing, it teaches the knowledge of plants and animals and the stars, the first level of initiation has to do with beginning to befriend nature, not conquer nature. To um, very different, very to different energies. Nature. And yeah. so, what we have when we look around at our patriarchal society is we have, you know, crazy things like uh, dumping uh, nuclear waste in our ocean, which is right. literally the life of our planet, seventy percent. We right. have fracking, which is destroying the water table and creating huge sinkholes and. People are turning on their faucets and fire is coming out. You know, we have such a, we have oil spills. You, we've all heard of oh. the one in DP oil spill, but there's one out in the, in the Pacific where the breeding grounds of the whales and the dolphins are. Yeah. 
we yeah. heard about that? No, because the multimedia conglomerations control a lot of the media, and they really don't want to alarm the public. You know, it took so long to close down the media around the BP oil spill, but we actually do have ways of working with nature uh, through um, the electromagnetic energy field that's produced by the planet that Nikola Tesla discovered over 100 years ago. We have ways that are of creating energy that are non-toxic, they're not destroying the environment, and, uh, and, they're, and basically what we're doing in, in this patriarchal approach to life is we're trying to conquer, use, and abuse everything for short-term profit with totally losing sight of its impact on every other species, including right. humanity. Right. And don't planet. you find it interesting, and let's talk about this when we come back, you know, don't you find it interesting that the simplicity of living on Earth, you know, even though enormous oppression and war, but the simplicity of, of living thousands of years ago, you know, average ages ranged from 150 to 200 years, some people longer. And I find it interesting that, you know, given where we are in terms of modern medicine right now, if you took that out of the equation, we would have reduced the average age of life. If you really want to think about something, this is really what happened to me this weekend reading your book. If you really want to think of life, we went from 200 years to about 48 on the planet. Modern medicine elongating our lifespan but to what end? When we come back, we're going to be talking about the losts. What lost? The lost gospel, the lost writing and work of Jesus, the lost story of Mary Magdalene, and how ISIS brings it all together. Stay tuned. We'll be right back with the show. Are you feeling stressed, in pain, disconnected, worried about aging? Corrective alignment and integration therapy restores health. Move your body, which frees your mind and elevates your spirit. BodyWise Bodywork LLC provides the tools you need to create the change you've been waiting for. Start living a fully present and integrated life. Book your 15-minute consultation online at www.bodywisebodywork.com. BodyWise Bodywork LLC, because it's the only body you've got. I'm Christine Upchurch, and this is a Stellar Reflections Minute. For centuries, spiritual traditions have talked about how humans have an energy field, or aura, surrounding them. Although skeptical scientists refuted this for decades, science is now beginning to catch up with spirituality. Scientists can actually measure light emanating from living beings, so they can measure the human aura, which in scientific terms is known as the biofield. Many medical practitioners around the world use an instrument to evaluate a patient's biofield for the purpose of diagnosing illness. They understand that imbalanced or insufficient light in a person's energy field indicates a physical or emotional problem. The good news? There are ways to balance and increase your light, resulting in greater well-being. For more information, please check out StellarReflections.com or call 425-999-9836. That's 425-999-9836.
Holistique Medical Center is where you find it all. A healthy space with doctors who care, see, and listen to the whole you. Hi, this is Dr. Darvish. If you have not found an answer to your chronic symptoms, you will find answers here at Holistique Medical Center. Our doctors find the root cause of your symptoms and guide your body towards healing naturally. We transform lives from within. Visit drdarvish.com or call 425-451-0404. Wow, everybody, welcome back. Welcome back. Trisha, before we jump ahead, we've got a lot to talk about. Please let folks know how they can find out more about you, how they can get a copy of the book. Yeah, thanks for asking. Um, Very simple. I live in Atlanta, and I'm actually home this summer writing my next book. So you'll be able to get me pretty easily through my website, or you can even call. The website is my name, so it's www.trishamccannon.com dot com or Trisha McCannon speaks dot com and that's spelled T R I C I A. It's that spelling M C C A N N O N Mac and Cannon uh, dot com. And um my my phone number's on the website and so forth. And I have a client here probably until the end of the week, so I'd just say you can email me but uh if I don't get back with you till the end of the week that's why because I'm I'm pretty involved with an out-of-town guest. Uh, and the Sophia book, the Jesus book, um, on the explosive story of the 30 lost years and the ancient mystery religions, and the Dialogues with the Angels book, all three of those books are uh, available. You can order them through my website or even through Amazon. And you can um, also have 13 online books for my mystery school uh, that are between 100 and 180 pages each with lots of incredible um, illustrations and processes and teachings. And, you know, if you go on the website, you'll see the mysteries. You can go down to online classes, and and each one of those is broken out where you can see the table of contents and read an excerpt, and you're very welcome to do that. Um, And there's even an introduction to the mysteries, a 65-page, you know, PDF file that you can download for free. Uh, if you want to check that out. But certainly I'm around this summer, so you'll be able to get me. Great. Well, thank you, Tricia. Thank you so much. Um, before the break, one of the things that I talked about was the the lost, the, the lost, the lost uh, gospels, the lost stories about uh, uh, Mary Magdalene, you know, lost history and Hebrew history. And I, and, and, and there are many of them, right? Uh, and so what I would love to do is I would love for you to talk about what you discovered in writing this book. You know, certainly Jesus in the Lost Gospel is something getting a lot of attention now, uh, but there is much more. I would love for you to take us on that journey. Well, as you probably know from both of my books, I tend to be very historical in my writing. And the book that the Sophia book has over 500 footnotes and about 75 pages of bibliography, appendixes, and back matter. And the Jesus book is 1,200 footnotes and 100 pages. So I've tried to really document everything because those of us raised in this Judeo-Christian culture, you know, there are people who've gotten so disgusted with the church, they just wanted to throw the baby out with the bathwater. And I can understand that because uh, sometimes, you know, that fundamentalism does get exhausting and very narrow and limiting. However, 
one of the things that happened for me, because my family was very traditional, my older sister's married to a preacher, and they are fundamentalist, and my gosh, believe me, they believe that all of us and most of the people probably listening to our tele- your radio show are going to hell, because, you know, it's kind of like, <laughs> it's only their version of Christianity that's allowed into heaven. And that's, I've seen enormous amount of pain and suffering and judgment and division created in the name of Jesus and the name of the Prince of Peace who taught, judge not, least ye be judged. So it's you know, becomes very selective about what people want to actually, you know, honor in their religious teachings. And so because of this, it set me very much on a journey of trying to discover the truth. So all my life I've collected these deep esoteric hidden texts about Jesus, about his teachings, about Mary Magdalene. I never intended to do anything with them. I was just trying to answer the questions for myself to see how the mystery schools, how the masters, how the angels, how these profound experiences I had had fit together with my own spiritual roots. And so what actually happened with the Jesus book was I was writing another book, actually about the mysteries, which is a book, the, the Sophia book, and although I didn't intend to put the the, uh, the things in that I wound up putting in about Jesus, and Jesus actually appeared in my office and uh, asked me if I would write a book about his lost years and secret teachings. As he said, there's been enough war and bloodshed in my name. And to be honest with you, uh, my response, I was so blown away by his presence, because of course a being like that, it just opens the heart at such a profound level. It's really uh, life-changing. But uh, my response was, well, wait a minute, why me? I'm not a Bible-thumping Christian. You know, I'm all about the mysteries. And he said, exactly, because he was all about the mysteries. In fact, in the New Testament, it says some 22 times in the New Testament that the Lord taught everything in a mystery, or the word mysterious or mysteries is used in connection with his teachings. And so you know, it was a very serious commitment. When I wrote the Jesus book, it was three years. I was in the cave writing this book, not really going out and speaking much at all. Very um, initiating, very transformative for me as I began to discover the presence of these four Kumaras, these four reincarnating sons of God, as they're known in the Vedas, that come periodically from to earth, and they've come in different forms as probably Rama and Krishna, uh, mm-hmm. as Horus, as Osiris, as, as Thoth, as these great uh, masters of teachings, and certainly as Yeshua or Issa or Jesus, depending on, you know, what we want to call him. So this process of discovery, when I finished that book, I had had to pull 200 pages out about his secret teachings, which I found to be incredibly profound, because they, they cover things like we, don't, we can connect directly to God. We don't need a priest or a rabbi to do it. And in his day and age... It, that one alone was enough to get him killed because the Sadducees and the Pharisees were so committed to being the intermediaries between the people and Yahweh. And so consequently, you know, that was a, that's a very big thing, that the kingdom of heaven lies within us, we can make a direct connection with the source ourselves, and that we don't have to have someone else to tell us. Certainly, there's nothing wrong with wonderful ministers or counselors or therapists or, or shamans or anyone who has learned to make that connection, supporting and helping us make it. But really, we all have that divine spark within us. So that was a 
very important piece. The second one was reincarnation. Jesus talks openly about the fact that the soul is immortal and that we come to earth to perfect ourselves and to learn the lessons. And, of course, when that was, that was part of the original Christian teachings and Jewish teachings. Uh, that's why in the Bible they say, was he Elijah come again? They're talking about, is he the reincarnation of the soul that was Elijah? And there's still some other indications in the Bible, like... Um, when Jesus heals a man that's been blind since birth, and they say, Lord, was this because of his sins or the sins of his parents? Well, if he was born blind at birth, it would have had to be a past, past karmic you know, uh, in, uh, uh, indiscretion that would have caused it. So, um, but what happened with the church was they wound up uh, hiring correctorites to go through the Scripture and take out either line by line, word by word, paragraph by paragraph, or even entire chapters of the original Gospels. And I wound up getting uh, some of the original Gospels before the correctorites had them. And this is because these manuscripts had been saved in their entirety in places like the Hemis Monastery in Tibet and uh, uh, other places where the records had been kept. And so I think Jesus was very well aware that there could easily be corruption that would happen uh, afterwards. And so consequently, this is one of the reasons he dispersed his disciples in so many directions. And so I've I've had those records, and of course I document all of that in in my books. So the reincarnation piece is an important piece, because if we realize that we're immortal souls, and that each lifetime we're being given the opportunity to awaken at a deeper level, and to be more compassionate, and more kind, and wiser, then we realize that it's not a get-rich-quick grab what you can and screw everybody else over game. That's not the game that's being played here. The game that's being played has to do with um, awakening to the divinity within ourselves and every other creature and treating them with compassion and love as part of ourselves. So that's a whole other perspective. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what do you think the, uh, you know, and I know that many people know a bit about the Dead Sea Scrolls, but not much. I mean, you know, we're we're almost acting as if they were just discovered two days ago, uh, but they the were not. Somebody- were discovered in 1945 and the Dead right. Sea Scrolls in 1947. And uh, as you know, there was a pontifical commission that was set to oversee their translation. And so for about 50 years, we didn't hear anything. And that is because the translators, the team of translators, discovered that there were so uh, that the perspective that was being taught in the original teachings was so much w- more profound or wiser or less dogmatic or different from what we have been told it was in traditional Christianity. And so I'm sure they were just absolutely, you know, some of them were probably stunned, probably some of them were like, let's take the news out. Others were like, oh my God, the church will fall and people will realize they've been lied to for, you know, 1,500 years or whatever. And so, of course, there was a lot of suppression, and eventually there was a woman that, um, uh, an older woman, who had helped to fund some of this, and she managed to get microfilm of all of the translations and released it to the Huntington Library, where 
uh, scholars from all over the world could begin the translations. And uh, then, of course, we had Michael Eisenman's books about the Dead Sea Scrolls Revealed that came out, I think, around uh, 1975, and uh, the wonderful Elaine Pagel's book, The Gnostic Gospels. And, and since then, there's been some amazing stuff um, Yves saint Levey, who actually is published by my publisher, uh, uh, has, um, uh, no, I say, uh, Jean Ives Leloup, excuse me, has uh, translated the Gospel of Mary Magdalene and a number of others that have been, and he's a, you know, he's a, a priest, but he is a, a, a really, truly a conscious being. And uh, so they have slowly, the Gospel of Thomas has come out, which of course is, so beautiful. The Gospel yeah. of Thomas has some of my most famous, I mean, my, my most favorite writing, where Jesus says, He who drinks from my mouth will become as me, a living Christ. And uh, in the book of Thomas, he gives us keys and spiritual technology that are so important. He says, When the two eyes become an eye, meaning the third eye, when the male becomes a female and the female becomes a, fe- a male, when the inner becomes the outer and the outer becomes the inner, then you shall see the kingdom of heaven. Now, this is quite cryptic if you don't know what it means, but it's the spiritual technology of balancing the male and female left and right hemispheres of the brain. And when we do that, then we open our third eye, and then we have access in our clairvoyant sight to being able to see into the inner planes or the inner worlds. The inner becomes the outer, the outer becomes the inner. When you realize that there is a divine spark within everything around us, even though we're pretty much, you know, oblivious most of the time, and that that divine spark is the same divine spark that lies within us. So this is, you know, the Gospel of Thomas is great. The Gospel of Philip is the one that talks about how Jesus used to kiss Mary Magdalene on the mouth and and uses the word... um, uh, something like chrononos. It's um, I actually have it in my book that literally meant wife, fiance, right. uh, or companion. Uh, and so now we know that there was a deeper relationship. Right. Well, and these so- are really the controversies, or let's just not call them that. Let's call them the differences that are being revealed, and you know the differences that are being revealed, so that people can formulate, you know, their their point of view. And, uh, and you know, part of this is really interesting in the way that it's showing up in our world and in our culture. You know, I think that, and, and I've mentioned this before, somebody asked me what I thought the shocker of 2015 was. You know, is there anything that I thought was a shocker? Well, there are many things, right? You know, we could talk about the devastation, you know, natural disasters, Um but I, I thought about something interesting, and that is knowing the culture in Ireland and having that part of my own heritage and watching Ireland adopt same-sex marriages. And well, that, that, is a, it, that is a shocker. Goodness it, gracious. Well, now, it, well, you know, maybe not for some people, but it was. It, it was such a shocker. It shocked the Pope. Yeah, well, uh, Ireland, of course, has been traditionally Catholic for many, many centuries, right. and I'm sure there are a lot of wonderful mm-hmm. people there. McCann and I'm also Scots-Irish-English, right. so, um, and I, I love that whole area of the world. Right. But that is that is a shocker, and, and I think it's, again, an indication of this, the changing times that we spoke yeah. about and this rebalancing between the male and the female. And, you know, when we 
start looking at how that patriarchal heavy-handedness has played out, uh, I mean, I, I, you know, I'm a hypnotherapist and I'm a healer in many, many forms of healing. And I remember about a year ago I took a, a class as a hypnotherapist on helping people that had gone through sexual abuse. And the statistics that were given in the class from 1985, now that's 25 years okay. ago, were, and this is the reported cases, is that one out of every three girls and one out of every seven boys is sexually molested as a child by usually their father, their uncle, their brother, or some other male person, uh, you know, could have been the visiting babysitter. And, of course, this is a huge problem because the sexual abuse affects the second chakra, which deals with self-worth, self-identity. It deals with our healthy sexuality, our healthy boundary issues. And, of course, you see the distortion that has occurred in our world around something that should be the most beautiful form of love and sharing, which is sacred sexuality, where you can really, you know, uh, shoot off into the cosmos and, and connect in the heart level and the third eye level, it's been turned into, you know, this rabid industry of pornography and addiction and, you know, S&M and, and I mean, it's just, there's such, the dark has done such a strange distortion mm-hmm. through the, um, you know, the shame, really, they created, when they made up these stories, this goes back to the priest of Yahweh, uh, making, they got the story when they left Babylon, they got the flood story, they didn't have that one before, and they changed the name of the Sumerian hero to Noah, and then they got the creation story. Well, they totally changed the creation story, because in the original creation story from Babylon that came from Samaria, the gods, plural, the Elohim, you know, genetically modified the probably Cro-Magnon man down here and created Homo sapien sapien, and they created men and women together as equals. Well, of course, the story we were given is, you know, God, singular, created man and then pulled Eve from his uh, rib. So women were born to be um, subservient. And then poor Eve ate that darn apple, never mind that Adam ate it too. And so consequently, women should be punished, be in pain, suffer, and be, you know, men's footstools for the rest of eternity because she ate the apple, and after all, he was created first. Well, this is crazy because if you look at the biological science, what we've discovered is all mammals are created biologically female first. The existence of the male is because of the release of an additional androgen that allows that XY chromosome to happen. And, I mean, we, personally, I'm thrilled that there are men out there. It would be a boring world without them. We, we <laughs> love our men. You know, they're great. There are lots of wonderful men. But the, this lie that we've been fed that one sex is superior to the other is absolutely wow. a huge distortion. And these yeah. cosmological and theological distortions have created... Uh, terrible uh, distortions within our society, within our cultures, and and they're they're literally impacting children, and then the lives of those individuals throughout their entire arc of their existence for decades and decades as they try to untangle the uh, the threads that have been. Uh, so maligned. Yeah. You know, I, th- this is, f- for, for many people tuning in, Tricia McCannon joining me here today, Return of the Divine Sophia, Healing the Earth Through Lost Wisdom Teaches of Jesus, Isis, and Mary Magdalene. And uh, as, I, as we talked about earlier, Tricia, I mean, the hour just zips by because there's so much to talk about. 
Well, um, I would be happy to come and do another show with you. I would love for you to do that. And, you, you have know, the, great ideas too, Pat. I love the things you've had to say. Well, it's interesting because you know some things we never forget. I remember being in a in a class, a catechism class, when I was very very young, with my friend Pasquale, and I remember Pasquale asked uh, the the sister a question as we were going through the Old Testament, and I'll never forget this. As we're going through it, I remember Pasquale raised raised her hand and asked the question, I don't understand where all the other people came from. And, oh, wait, and wait. Uh, remember Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel and, and Abel. Seth? Who did they exactly. have wives? Who did they have sex with? Right. Uh, and that was what Pasquale asked. She what you know, actually didn't ask the, that question, but didn't understand where all the people came from. Exactly. And I never forgot that question. And I have to tell you, Pasquale was hauled out of that class. Oh, my so God. Fast, so fast. I and hear it, this story so many times. <laughs> it, and it's not just Catholics. I don't want to pick on the Catholics because actually no, Catholic no. Church originally had, I've been to the Vatican. They yeah. have. The Vatican is beautiful, and they have preservations from Egypt and Greece, and they have big astrological, yep. uh, uh, you know, paintings on their walls. So at one time, the Christian Church had these beautiful mysteries, and they certainly have encoded them in their symbolism. And there are so many millions of, of wonderful people mm-hmm. in Christianity today. So, it, but you're absolutely right. We have all been taught through fear and punishment, shame, guilt, and blame to shut up and not ask the question. Well, I'll tell you, that was the question that got me to, you know, explore uh, spiritualism and and God for myself, as many people are doing it. And, you know, this is a place where when all is said and done, though, Tricia, at the end of the day, as in the end of this hour, there's one message, I think, that, that comes through, at least for me. And that's the message of love. And that's, that's the thing that when I step back and I look at a new energy in contemporary times and I look at these lost wisdom teachings of Jesus, of Isis and Mary Magdalene, you know, what is really clear to me across the board that the universal message is still alive and well. And that I love is, that. I totally it, love that. And that is, in fact, what not only Jesus taught, but Mary Magdalene. Yeah. As you, you may know, maybe we'll get to do a show on this. Mary Magdalene taught a path called the Way of the Chalice, which, of course, is the union of the male and female, the cup of the female, the stem of the male, grounded in matter as a receptacle for the divine light of, the, of God. Mm-hmm. And that all of us are, in fact, that divine light if we can bring ourselves into union, inner union. And um, wow. that's a, a really great place to end. Thank you so much for Thank having me on your so show. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Please give out your website again. It is www.trishamccannon.com or trishamccannonspeaks.com. Both uh, addresses will take you to the same place. And as I said, I'm home this summer, so people can uh, email me at trishamccannon1111 at yahoo.com. And the websites, I mean, the email's on there. Or they can call me uh, probably starting next week when my client leaves. Happy to (laughs) Very good. Please, please do come back. Benny, thank you for pushing all the right buttons. All of you out there. Thank you so much. When we come back with Trisha, we will make sure we bring her back. When we come back, we'll even be opening up those phone lines. Make yourselves a fabulous day. We'll see you next time.